Hey everyone, this is Matt Dixon. I'm the Chief Research and Innovation Officer at Tether, uh, and I'm joined by my colleague, the SVP of Research and Innovation, Ted McKenna. And we are here for part four in our five-part learning series in which we are unpacking the research that went into our HBR article, Four Behaviors That Boost Inbound Sales. Again, that article came out on February 16th, 2021. Uh, you can read more about it at hbr.org, read the article, or go back and listen to the other um, episodes in this learning series. Uh, episode one, we unpacked the key findings. We talked about why we did the research. We talked about how we did the research, provide a lot more color uh, beyond what was in the article. Uh, and then in uh, the next episode, we unpacked the first of the four key behaviors, uh, disqualification and what high performers do to make sure that they are spending their time on the right opportunities. And then after that, the very last episode, last week's episode, we talked about how high performers drive the purchase decision by prescribing a solution to the customer versus trying to diagnose their needs. Now, what was interesting to me, and, and this is, um, you know, I found this one to be really counterintuitive, Ted, but it, it seems like if we're looking at some of the, the LinkedIn and Twitter traffic around, around this episode, the recurring theme, we had a lot of folks who know the challenger sale uh, research really well. Um, and a, we had a number of folks ask, you know, how is prescription different from teaching? If you remember, yeah. you know, uh, from the challenger research, we found that was the first key behavior of a challenger salesperson, B2B salesperson. Uh, but the first key behavior was that they teach the customer something new. They bring a new insight to the table, which reframes the way the customer thinks, not about them as a supplier, themselves as a supplier, but the way that the customer thinks about their own business and their own opportunities, right? It breaks the customer's mental model. It reframes. It leads to the supplier's solution versus with the solution. But we, we talked about this uh, before we started recording today, and you had a, a specific point of view about uh, how these two are different, uh, teaching versus prescription or making a recommendation, yeah. but also a perspective on how they can co-present uh, in a sale. Yeah, and before we go there, this does give me maybe an answer to. I was I was curious with all these episodes as to whether people would just sort of wait for all of them to finish and then binge them, or in the sort of the binging age, or if they'd sort of take them in one by one. I think at least some people are taking them in one by one with these. This with is these the questions. Game of Thrones of sales. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's honored as I am to be in a, in a series that could possibly be binged. Um, yeah, so so I think yeah, this is a really interesting sort of distinction to draw when you think about teaching. Those of you that, that are sort of very familiar with the challenge or research, you'll know a big tenet of that teaching element is lead to not with. And so the, the notion there being, you know, I don't, I, it's sort of supplier agnostic in how I go about teaching. You're, you're intentionally teaching them about the space and about the problem and about, you know, what's the risk of doing nothing uh, without then, with then later talking about why you're the best potential solution for it. This is decidedly not that. You know, when this is this is an agent being okay talking about, hey, this is what I recommend, and of course the the realm in which I'm recommending this are in the series of the offerings that we have, and they'll be very, you know, crisp in terms of differentiation in terms of how this might differ from competitors, but they're not shy about the fact that, you know, it is their supplier that is best in this situation, and so there's you know maybe a fine distinction, but still a distinction I think in terms of uh, the type of recommendation you're providing, which might be feel more personal, to teaching in general as a way to you know build demand for a problem you solve best yeah a great point so you know for those b2b sellers out there and, and I've, I've been uh, excited to find you know while this was a study of inbound sales uh largely b2c sales um, i found that uh, we're getting a lot of listeners uh and there were a lot of readers of the article who were b2b salespeople, and they're finding a lot of relevance here and i think there is a lot of relevance for b2b salespeople as well 
you know, that idea of, of, uh, of insight, I think classically, we've kind of thought about that in B2B sales as, as it pertains to Challenger as something that happens early in the sales uh, process, right? It happens maybe in the very first meeting or even during the attempt to schedule the very first meeting, but it happens early on. Uh, we lead with that insight, but it doesn't mean that a prescription doesn't also happen, right? It happens at the end when the customers, they we've already got them on board. We've already... Um, we forged that consensus. The customer's ready to move forward, but now they're stuck, right? Because they're, do I want a two-year term or should I should I buy down the rate and, and sign up for a three-year term? But what if I'm stuck? Do I want the professional services or should I just pay ad hoc for that? Should I, should I prepay for that upfront? Do I want the platinum, the platinum package or the, the gold package? You know, and so B2B customers get stuck. And so there's an L, there's an opportunity for prescription there and for making a recommendation. But we also talk about in, in the B2B research. There are lots of opportunities to recommend how the customer buys as well and to prescribe the buying process too. And, and I think that surprises B2B salespeople in particular because they've long been taught, go at, you know find your coach in the customer organization and get them to coach you on how to sell to their company. But what we actually found best salespeople do in, in prior research is that they actually coach the customer on how to buy from them, right? So I've sold this solution many times. You've never bought it before. So take it from me. We're going to want to collect this data at this point. We're going to want to do a validation at this point. We're going to want to meet with procurement at this point. You know what? We probably need to pull the legal folks in there. Don't wait for the customer to, to ask for that. Uh, prescribe that because because what you're doing is what you talked about last time, Ted. You're, you're cutting to the heart of things. You're simplifying things for the customer. The customer's overwhelmed, right? And it's all about that, that purchase simplicity. Let's, let's talk about this, this next behavior though. Uh, we can talk about uh, prescription and diagnosis and teaching and challenger all day long, but, but this one is pretty interesting too. And, and there are, are some you know, challenger similarities in here as well, which is comfort with tension. As, for those of you who know the challenger research well, this is kind of what I feel like uh, this next behavior is about, this idea of digging into customer objections. Now, I think what we found in the research uh, very clearly is that uh, where average performers, I think their mindset is, uh, I'm not gonna bring up any bad news because if I bring up bad news, like uh, if, I, if I remind the customer that, they, that this is an expensive product or service, if I bring up the fact that they're gonna be locked into a full one year or two year contract, um, if I bring up the fact that the rate's gonna go up in, in you know, two years time at the end of their initial contract, if I raise anything that might be of a concern, well, I'm gonna be, you know, uh, uh, snatching defeat from the jaws of victory, if you will. And I'm going to be giving the customer a reason to not buy right now. So I'm just going to pretend that that bad news doesn't exist. If it doesn't come up, it doesn't exist, you know, out of sight, out of mind. And that's my best chance to close. But what was interesting is that high performers think very differently. Um, what you find in these conversations is that they are like, they've got radar lock on what you talked about uh, before, Ted, is that the fact that these customers are hung up on something. They, they are stuck, right? There is some reason that they are mired in indecision that has led them to have to call. Because if they knew what they wanted and they wanted to buy, they would have done it online. All of the companies in our study sell the same products and services online. So the customer easily could have done that, but they ended up calling anyway to have a conversation with uh, an expert from the company because they're stuck. They don't know what options to get. They're stuck between product choices, uh, features, contract length, things like that. And high performers are really adamant, it seems, to get that bad news out on the table, right? To, if the customer is concerned about price, let's get that out on the table. If they're concerned about the fact that the rate might go up after their initial term, let's get that out on the table. And so let's deal with it because if I don't deal with it now, 
where we're going to end up is you saying, I need to think about it, which is the kiss of death, right? And you're going to tell me you're going to call back, which you're not going to do. Um, and, uh, and I've just lost a sale. So I need to make sure we get the dirty laundry on the table and that we, we deal with it. Uh, what was also interesting is the, the way that conversation um, unfolds, which was surprising. But Ted, tell me a little bit. I mean, there were, there were a lot of objections we found in the research. And, uh, and you know, what are some of the ones that we heard most often? Um, what were, what, when those high performers go hunting for objections, what are they hearing back from, uh, from their customers? Yeah, uh, so I, I think one of the things that they're hitting on here is just the prevalence of them. So you find, especially we talked last time about the dis distinction between shoppers and buyers, you, you find in the shopper situation in particular, you're going to get lots of objections. In fact, almost 75% of those calls, you see at least one objection. And so it really comprises those types of, of interactions. And I think to your point earlier, it, a big part of success there is whether you lean into them or, or not. Um, but you know the the one you mentioned, which is the big kiss of death, which is I'll call back later. That's you know yeah. almost almost no chance at a sale um, in those situations. So you almost by the time you've gotten to that point, you already know you've probably you've probably lost because they're they're not seeing the reason to buy now. But you'll hear flavors different flavors of that. So I'll, I'll let me think about it, or I need to talk to my significant other. Um, anything that is is meant to sort of put off the decision to a later point in time is not going to be uh, something that. Um, that's going to end up with, with success. You know, there are, of course, going to be price-related type objections or um, objections that seek other types of discounts. And, you know, those are ones that you sort of work with, if, if you will. But how you respond to these objections uh, really becomes a big component of, um, of how, how, you're, how successful you are. And, and, and yes, that gets into the specific rebuttals that you might use, but there's a tonal element to this as, as well as you, as you were indicating that it isn't, in some cases, it isn't even as much as literally what you say so much as the, the way in which you interact with it, that you're leaning into it, that you're, there is a lot more active conversation, a lot more interruptions, even frankly, yeah. um, empathetic maybe in, in the nature. And I know you have some thoughts on kind of how those people look to conduct those types of situations, but that was a big counter to to finding for us too, is, you know, when you see fair amount of interruptions or, or overtalk, you'd, you'd assume that was a bad thing, but actually we find in these situations where they're dealing with these objections, you find a fair amount of it, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, that's it's super interesting because there's, uh, you know, truthfully, uh, uh, I don't know how many blogs I've read out there to thought leadership posts uh, from companies out there doing this research, but I think they're looking not at what's predictive of sales, but maybe what uh, what co-presents with successful sales or, or kind of a, a simple correlation uh, or co-presentation of data. And you see out there a lot of um, uh, quote unquote studies that say, you know, uh, best sales interactions, the rep actually talks less than the customer. And the, the conventional wisdom, I think, uh, because we're all polite people uh, raised to be polite and, and uh, it follow the golden rule, uh, we don't interrupt or talk over people, right? That's just not what polite people do. And so I think the, the conventional wisdom, again, is uh, let the customer do most of the talking, don't interrupt them, don't talk over them. But we find that all of those, none of those things happen when you look at high-performing conversations. Right. In fact, they do the exact opposite. They talk more than the customer, they interrupt them, and they they talk over them. And it, it's it's interesting. It's like a, you you said it's, it can be, and we talked about in the article. It can sound a little bit like a sparring match. It's an empathetic one, but it's right. still kind of a sparring match. Yeah, you could see the data and see lots of objections happening and assume what that means is the customer is just on a monologue and they're just going off on one thing after another after another. But it's actually the opposite. Yes, you see a fair amount of objections, 
but you also see the agent talking the majority of the time. Yeah. Right. And in fact, the, the vast majority of the time. And so yeah. what that indicates is this is not just a one sided thing where the customer is just airing of grievances and the agents just sitting back. It's quite the opposite. And there is a repartee involved. There is a back and forth um, that you see in these very successful situations. OK, I said I said Jerry Maguire and and was episode one or two. You said repartee. So. I knew you were going to make fun of me for saying that word literally as soon as it came out of my mouth. <laughs> like I shouldn't have said that. I, but it's you know, it, it's uh, it is that was such a surprise to me, I think, um, because but but it's not surprising, I guess, when you sit back and think about it, it surprising at the highest level that interruptions, objection, you know, interruptions, um, uh, over talk and talking more to the customer were actually all good things and the opposite. Were, was decidedly bad, like so silence time yep. and just letting the customer go and and not being actively engaged was an absolute killer in terms of sales conversion, um, the mark of, of bad behavior, if you will. But you know that you you hit it. It's it's about active engagement. It's about being there, present in the interaction. And let's face it, in a, in these kinds of jobs where you're dealing with dozens or, or hundreds of calls, you know, a day or a week from customers. It's hard to be all in on every single one, but it does feel like these high performers are there. They're getting back up for every single call and they are actively engaged. Now, these it, the, the takeaway, and we point this out in the article because this is a causation versus correlation thing that we need to be careful about. The lesson here is not if you interrupt people and talk over them, they'll buy more. That's not the, the lesson for sales managers or for sellers to take um, from this research. But what it tells us is that um, these things co-present, it's a sign of active engagement. And when it happens, it happens in a very empathetic and deferential way. So we go back and we we kind of go back to the, the audio tape or we go back to the conversations themselves and we find things like, you know, let's say, Ted, you're a customer and you say, well, your plan is, is more expensive than Acme Company. And I say, you know, Ted, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I do want to point out Acme Company doesn't include installation. Our plan does. So it's a little bit apples to oranges. And if you do the math, actually, we end up being cheaper over the duration. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to be listening to recordings. You might be listening on audio tape. So, but uh, <laughs> right. yeah, since you got me for the repartee, I had to come back. Okay, all right, all right. That's too <laughs> um, so, um, you know, I listen to this on my eight-track player when I find it. Um, uh, but the yeah, it is. Uh, these are um, uh, these are things that um, you find in these high-performer conversations. They're not being rude, right? It, it, there's this joke I always tell when I'm presenting the the challenger research that. People hear, you know, challenger, they hear they're taking control of the sale, and uh, they assume that these people are uh, pushy, aggressive, and obnoxious. And I always say that's the sixth sales profile called the jerk. That's not what we're talking about. Yeah. And in the same way, we're not talking about these people are not jerky, uh, they're not aggressive, they're not obnoxious, but they're in there. And when the customer says something or states something that is not true, right, that's factually not true, the high performer politely, respectfully interrupts them and corrects them and they get them back on track because what they don't want the customer doing is continuing to get themselves wound up that, about something that is actually factually inaccurate, right? Yep. And so you've got to cut the head that off of the past and you got to deal with it. And I think part of it actually is just anticipating that there is an objection. And I think mm -hmm. there's even a line in the article about an unstated objection um, does not mean there's no objection. It means yeah. it's it's probably there. So that probably the first lesson is assume there is an objection and go find it. Um, and, 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 and if you, if you don't, then you have un, unfinished work and you're going to then hear this. Okay. I'll call back later. Yeah. That's, a, that's a great piece of, of guidance. I remember, uh, you know, talking to, to when we're selling complex deals in a B2B setting, telling, um, uh, sales leaders, 
assume that on every deal, there's a blocker out there. There's somebody lurking at, in the customer organization who does not want this purchase to happen, who does not want you to win the deal. And you may not know who they are, but if you had to guess, who do you think they are and what are you going to do to manage that? In that guidance is really important. So if I'm a sales that are running an inbound sales uh, organization and we're dealing with, we're handling dozens, hundreds of calls a day, thousands of calls in these really big organizations, um, telling your sellers, assume there is an objection. The only reason this customer, it goes back to this theme we've been hitting on, this indecision theme we've been hitting on throughout the series, assume that there is a reason they are hung up. There is a reason they had to call you and it's because there is a, there is a hesitancy, there's a source of that indecision, there's some objection that's lodged in their mind and you gotta find it and you gotta extract it and you gotta deal with it. And if you don't, don't pretend it's not there because if it wasn't there, they would have bought online. So it's great advice um, for all managers, all coaches out there, all sales leaders, Tell your sellers, assume their customer has an objection. Your job is to find it and deal with it. So great. That was our, um, thank you for joining us for this episode. That was our, um, our penultimate episode. We're gonna come in here for our fifth and final episode next week, um, where we're going to be talking about de-risking the purchase decision. So even if we do all these things, we still gotta get the customer to pull the trigger, right? We still gotta get them to authorize the purchase. We still gotta get them to give our, uh, uh, give us our credit card information. We've got to process this transaction. And there's one last skill that we found uh, that high performers demonstrate to get that customer across the finish line and to, to close that deal. So join us next time. Thank you for joining us this time uh, for the fourth in our series around four behaviors that drive inbound sales. Next week, join us for the final episode number five. Take care.